Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frau Pal. I'm Odd, and I have a co-host named Rags. Hi. Hi. So this week we're interviewing someone you know. Yes. So this week we are interviewing um, somebody that I grew up with, Ace, who is a trans man. And he talks about a lot of interesting things that I think that people just aren't aware of and i learned a lot especially about uh, hormone treatments and testosterone um and we talk a little bit about top surgery and hysterectomies um and just like overall how transitioning can affect your mental health for the better um and really just kind of like the mental fortitude of being your authentic self with that said, uh, we're going to give a trigger warning that we do talk about some medically explicit content, more specifically needles. It's really gross. But it's also really informative. So if you can stick through it, stick through it. But if it's not your thing, skip it. All right, we're going to start super duper easy, okay? Okay. Tell us about yourself. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Ace. I'm 20, uh, 28. <laughs> um, trans guy, recently moved to California and um, have entered the cannabis industry and hope to help other people. I transitioned five years ago, a little over five years ago now, uh, medically. Um, but... I've pretty much known my entire life that something was different. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm trying to help others um, live authentically, but uh, it, it's difficult without a platform, you know? Yeah. Well, we're giving you a platform today. <laughs> yes, that's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm happy that uh, I get to help with this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we wanted to talk about, uh, what transitioning was like for you. Like, how has your life changed while transitioning and to this day? Um, when I first started out, it was pretty difficult. Um, you know, puberty wasn't fun the first time. So to go through it a second time as a a young adult was pretty difficult yet again. Um, I, transitioned from female to male. So for a very long time, the most that I could do to pass was wear masculine clothing and cut my hair short. Um, but it was pretty difficult to disguise my voice or um, hide the fact that I had high cheekbones. Um, luckily, I was always very athletic and very thin and I didn't have a very large chest to begin with. So. Uh, looser clothing kind of hid the fact that I had uh, a feminine chest 
Um, but to constantly be uh, misgendered or recognized from somebody from my past who didn't know that I was transitioning, um, it, it was very difficult to um, have them refer to me as female when all I wanted to do was pass as male. Uh, as once I started testosterone, um, that was a big game changer because my voice started to deepen and uh, my fat distribution changed a lot of my face. So my jawline kind of came in a bit more and my high cheekbone went down. Um, my face squared out a lot. And then, um, yeah, with uh, the voice deepening, I mean, I went from being mistaken as female to being mistaken as a prepubescent teenage boy. <laughs> but uh, it, it was kind of, um, it was a step in the right direction. So <laughs> uh, I got ID'd for pretty much everything, even Red Bull, because, you know, I I looked like a guy, but I just looked really, really young. Um, I'm only five foot five and currently sitting at about 135 pounds. So I'm not very big now. Now that I've had top surgery though, and I've been on testosterone for over four years and, uh, I had a hysterectomy about two years ago. Um, there's absolutely no difficulty in passing in public. And sometimes that's a little bit, uh, conflicting in a way. Um, I mean, there's definitely positives to being stealth, uh, stealth being that, um, people don't realize that I'm trans, but sometimes I feel like I'm almost lying to myself when I don't get to be out. So as long as I feel comfortable in my environment and the people that I surround myself with, um, I get to live authentically and, uh, live out and proud as a trans guy, but in some situations or in most situations in, in like public, if I'm just meeting somebody for the first time, um, I'll usually just let them assume what they want and, uh, not tell them that I'm trans. I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm perceived as, uh, a gay male because, um, I I have a partner and um my my partner is non-binary and um when I use gen uh gender neutral pronouns people uh want to assume my orientation mm -hmm. um so my I identify as as basically just queer um I don't like to really put a binary on, on my orientation. I feel like I'm a human that loves humans and like any other detail further than that is most, most people, none of most people's business. That's fair. It puts me in a new bubble. I, for, for a long time, I identified more with lesbian than being straight. And then uh, after I transitioned, I figured my orientation would be more like uh, a straight male. 
But then the more comfortable I got with my body and my identity, the more I realized that trying to put my orientation in some sort of binary for the comfort of other people is really not important. And as long as I'm happy in my relationship, it doesn't really matter whom it's with or what their body looks like or what mine looks like. Um, What was it like um, in the process of uh, trying to get your medical transition started? So like the process of trying to get the prescription for tea um, and all that sort of stuff. There was a series of doctor's appointments that I had to go through before I could get testosterone. Um, First, I started... Um, I was seeing a therapist for a while to try to just get my mood disorders in in check. And it was then it dawned on me that I was trans and wanted to transition. So once it was on documentation that someone could, I guess, diagnose me with uh, gender dysphoria, that's when I was able to move ahead and get referred to an endocrinologist who could prescribe me testosterone. I had one therapist and then one psychiatrist um, letter that I had to take with me to go to an endocrinologist and be able to get on testosterone. And I thought it would be a much longer process of, okay, I see this doctor for the first time and then maybe the next time I would get prescribed. But um, for me, uh, the first time I met my endocrinologist, I left there with my prescription. And, um, I was a little bit nervous to take my first shot. So I actually got the prescription and then had it sitting on, on my, uh, nightstand for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then I finally, uh, gathered up the energy to, um, give myself my first shot and, you know, officially start my medical transition. Were you nervous about the needle part or were you nervous about, um, like actually having the extra testosterone it was definitely more fear of the needle uh i was pretty excited about um masculinizing myself mm-hmm. uh i i knew i i had a a few friends of mine that i got to watch go through their medical transition first and um i kind of knew what to expect from there so i was pretty excited for the deepening of the voice and and um my fat distribution changing and it being easier for me to gain muscle i mean i haven't really gone to the gym too much but just from everyday working activity i could see like there's a much bigger difference in the tone of my body than it was pre-t it was such a relief to finally look in the mirror and start to see my body change in the way that i always wished and hoped that it, it was really life-changing and life-saving. Like, it, it was so exciting. But um, the the needle that I, I'm always prescribed is uh, a 20 a twenty gauge, mm-hmm. and it's about an inch and a half long. And uh, my shot's intermuscular. Mm-hmm. So uh, nearly the entire needle has to go into my thigh. And... It, it can be painful to just, you know, uh, even though that I know the hormone is going to help me, it, it I still get like shot anxiety to this day. Um, just yeah. because I, I don't like having to push the needle past my skin. 
Yeah, I completely understand that. But I mean, even knowing like what it does to you, like having ugh, like the whole room just got like. Mm-hmm. We all got the heebie-jeebies yeah, just from how you gross. described that. <laughs> like inter intermuscular. That sounds horrible to have to do that every day. But knowing that like it's so beneficial to your like mental health. It's that has well, it's not um it's not every day. Oh, it's not. Uh, oh, good. Cause I was just about to ask shot, you that. <laughs> the shots the uh, once a week, um, or at least for my dosing, mm-hmm. I'm I'm prescribed a point five uh, ml uh, once a week. It's uh, that's that's typically the most common dose, uh, the most common prescription. Um, but for some, they'll take uh, one full ml uh, every other week. And depending on how your blood levels are, medical condition or what have you. Some people take a little bit more. Some people take less. Uh, my my doctor will play with my doses because um, it's not uncommon for your, your red blood cell count to shoot up once you start uh, testosterone um, because men naturally have uh, a higher red blood cell count. It, it also explains why they, they usually run a little bit warmer than uh, uh, cis women. So when I... Was first taking testosterone. I got started at uh, 0.25 ml, and that was once a week. And until my body got used to it, I slowly graduated to 0.5 ml. Now, after being on T for so long, and uh, sometimes I still have issues with my level. Um, I usually stood around point. 3 to 0.4 ml per week uh once a week. Mm-hmm. It it helps keep my mood um in check and as long as I stay consistent um I I don't really experience any sort of mood swings from having extra testosterone in my body. Um but there are days that say I forget to pick up my prescription on time or forget to call the doctor to have it in on time and I go like an extra week without it. I'll definitely experience like heat flashes, almost like going through menopause. Um, but I'll also experience like some mood swings. I'll be a lot more lethargic. Uh, I'll start to feel depressed. So, so that's kind of where it, it plays in. Like testosterone was life-saving and I'm so thankful that I went on it to assimilate the way I feel to the way I look. At the same time, I, I kind of wish I didn't have to depend on something for the rest of my life. I'm looking into mm-hmm. other um, other sources of testosterone. Um, there's there's androgel, which would be a daily application, and then there's I've heard of an implant. I'm not sure um, if it's so easily prescribed, but there's like an implant, kind of like a birth control implant that. Uh, it would be under my skin, and over the course of a few months, it would release testosterone. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I was going to ask, like, is there no like capsules that you could take for that? The oral tablet. I know for beginning transition, a lot of people said no to it because it didn't um, it didn't show any effects quite quick enough. Um, you know, it's intermuscular or subcutaneous shots are definitely, um, the fastest way that you're going to notice any transition. 
Gotcha. So they actually, older men will take the, sometimes take the tablets when their testosterone levels get lower. At least that's okay. what I've heard. I'm not an older man, so I don't know. <laughs> but that's what I, because it's um, smaller dosage. And like Ace was saying, it, you have to like let it accumulate. Gotcha. So it takes a lot longer. Yeah. Once, once it kind of builds in your system, um, I mean, it, I, I can't say like on a medical level, if like once it builds in your system, it stays, but there's some, there's some things that if I stop taking testosterone, I, I won't regress back. Like I won't reverse transition. Um, my voice, my voice, uh, my vocal cords have calcified at this point that, uh, my, my voice range won't go up. I mean, in comparison to some other guys, my, my voice might not be as deep as theirs, but it's significantly deeper from when I was in high school. And um, my facial hair, I know of some trans guys who have gone on, off of testosterone after being on it for so long. And uh, they, they, their facial hair is still just as thick as it was before. Um, I mean, I'm curious to see if, you know, three years from now, if like maybe it won't be as coarse, but as far as I could tell there, that hasn't changed at all. Um, my fat distribution would, however, uh, switch back if I still had any source of estrogen, uh, uh, in my body. Um, but since I had top surgery and a hysterectomy, um, nothing's really producing any excess estrogen in my body so it'd be kind of difficult for my body to just revert back mm -hmm. uh so you were just talking about your hysterectomy and your top surgery is that something that you would like to talk about more uh sure like i said i, I never really had a very large chest so before, uh pre-top surgery um after being on testosterone for about three years, I felt that my voice and my face was masculine enough that if I was completely topless, um, no one would really notice as much. So uh, with the support of my friends and family, like I started to go topless. You know, I never really had anyone give me difficulty. I felt like a lot of a lot of it was a mental battle of, you know, psyching myself up and trying not to think that everybody was staring at me. I mean, convention, uh, typically like once you're anxious about something, you, you start to feel like everybody in the room notices. Meanwhile, like there, there's probably not a single soul who did. Mm -hmm. um, and if there were like, not a lot of people really have the nerve to ask, or at least not in my experience, but uh, I, I was blessed with a small enough chest that no one really noticed. I know of other people who, you know, it, it would be very obvious if they went topless in public. But uh, I, I was able to get the keyhole procedure done. Basically, um, actually, it was semi, uh, it's called semi-areolar procedure, where the uh, basically bottom half of my areola was the incision line and uh my breast tissue and all the like milk glands and stuff were all removed from there and then um 
I have I had enough elasticity in my skin. That way, they basically just stowed it back closed tissues. So my chest looks very masculine, and you know I'm lucky that I was I was fit all through college and stuff. I had developed a, a I don't have large pecs, but a decent amount of chest muscle. That way, it's it's very toned. For some, uh, if you have a a larger chest, typically larger than a B cup, um, you have to go for uh, double incision uh, mastectomy. Those that procedure leaves you with uh, larger scars going across your chest, where it's a, a little bit more noticeable and immediately after surgery and for the first couple of years. But once the scars start to fade. And uh, if your chest hair grows, then uh, typically uh, uh, the scars are not noticeable from a distance. I have a question about that because I, as someone, A, who is like into all gross things and not that this is gross, but I love like my, both my parents are in the medical field and I grew up hearing about medical procedures at dinner. Um, I am really intrigued about like all these different types of surgeries and then also hearing um, from um, a lot of my friends who have gotten some type of medical um, transition procedure, like a, it's the field that this field has like become so specialized in the past like decade and like past five years. And Mm -hmm. they're, the procedures and the surgeons are becoming so much more like sensitive to people's dysphoria. Um, And I think it's, there's not really a question in here, but I think (laughs) that it's really awesome that even when you got the surgery, that the surgeon was mindful about like how you would want your body to look afterwards and why you were getting the procedure versus just like, doing any sort of thing like any sort of um procedure to give you a mastectomy yeah um he was very open and and um honest and uh very he showed a lot of pride in in me like as as a client he was he was excited to to help me reach and uh reach my goal of you know looking the way i wanted to look and he, he, he was very understanding, you know, there's definitely people out there and, and doctors out there that, that don't quite understand. I mean, there's a lot of states out there where, you know, trans healthcare is kind of laughed at. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to find doctors that were, um, not not only just educated on the subject because uh, for medical reasons, but had a passion to help other people um, find happiness in themselves. Uh, that that was very exciting for for me um, to feel that support from people in the medical field, along with you know my friends and family. Yeah, of course. I think I can't imagine how validating that would be. It's saying like, this is really important to me. And your family is like, yeah, go for it. And then your doctor's like, yeah, like, let's do it. We're going to make it happen. That's, that's an inc- incredible. Yeah. I remember putting it off for so long because I thought it would be so many more hoops to jump through than it actually was. I mean, granted, it was difficult 
getting all the proper recommendations and documents uh, done in order for everything to be covered by my New York state insurance. But um, it was definitely worth it. It was definitely possible. I, I reached out to other people who were currently taking those steps or found forums online where other people had gotten the surgery before me. And they kind of just pointed me in the similar direction that they went in. I've heard that it's easier to get on testosterone now and see doctors for surgeries when I started doing things uh, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, I definitely have like a lot more hope for the future uh, trans community that are that's trying to uh, medically transition. But it's all... It's all about state law and, and regulation and, and due to the current administration, I feel like it, it could be difficult in the future if things change uh, much more radically than uh, it already has. Yeah, we're just both sitting here nodding our heads because like we we see it and it's a mess for the current administration and it makes a lot of people worry across the board. But I think most especially it makes people of marginalized communities worry, especially people who have to like conceal their identity, which actually kind of leads to the next question. Cause you're saying about stealth and how it, you sometimes feel conflicted about it in terms of like, you want to be your true authentic self, but also sometimes it's safer to come off as passing. Mm-hmm. And because you're, you're already looking very much passing it's easier for you to sometimes just be stealth about it. Um, so how does like current social issues affect how you feel, like how you present and how you want to be visible? Like, is it harder now that you're in California or easier than like being up in the Albany Lake George area? Cause that's where you were working last, I believe. Uh, how open I am is definitely, um, based on how comfortable I feel in my surrounding environment. When I was living in Orange County, New York, like when I was growing up, I felt like it was almost a very conservative area for me to grow up in. And yes. it, was, it was really difficult for me to really express who I truly was. I, I was always, I always felt pressured to fit in this, uh, this mold, this bubble that everybody expected me to fit into and um i i tried my best at the cost of my own mental health when i went away to college and started to join lgbt groups and start to meet other people within the community i started to become more comfortable with myself and really started to figure myself out so like around albany i feel pretty comfortable whereas other people's experience in albany it might not be as friendly, but yeah, yeah, not a whole lot of resources in Orange County, New York. And um, going an hour north of Albany uh, to Lake George, that's a very small town, uh, conservative area, uh, not very diverse at all. And um, working as a barber, I was constantly around people that I, I wasn't necessarily comfortable with being myself around 
uh, unless I knew that at least one other person in the room had my back and could like physically protect me. Like there is, there is a very rare chance that I would just like out myself amongst a room of people that I didn't know. Well, yeah, the last time I was at Lake George, um, uh, I was at the lake with a friend, um, and we were eating lunch and there was a pickup truck that, um, drove around the lake three or four times, um, with a giant stars and bars flag on the back, mm-hmm. um, playing like some fucking dumb country song on repeat. And I just like, I just was like, I don't know where the fuck I am. This is so weird. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of people out there who fly the Confederate flag, and I don't think they realize that, you know, the North, <laughs> the North won, and they're living way North. Um, yeah. So it, for them to use the excuse that, oh, it's like a cultural thing, like, I really, Absolutely I really not. didn't understand a lot of the people who are, who are driving around like that. I mean, not everybody there were bad people of course and not, not everybody there was necessarily a uh, uh, confederate fl- flag flying uh uh racist but like there there was there was people that I knew that I could be comfortable with and there was people that I knew that I had to hide myself from um and I was lucky enough to have a friend in the barber shop and uh, uh, the manager of the shop that I, I worked at to have my back and know that um, if anything were to happen, if somebody were to say something to me or were to give me some sort of trouble while we were out in public, that I would not be uh, alone, that, that they would have my back. So it, it made a huge difference because I would not be as confident or as comfortable as I am today uh, with who I am and moving out to California on my own had I not had that experience where, like, there are good people out there who will have your back, whether, you know, they've known you forever or known you for just a minute. And um, you should be able to feel safe no matter where you're at. And there's people out there who will help you to do that. So what um, inspired you to move out to California? You mentioned um, you mentioned something at the at the very beginning of the interview. Well, ever since I was little, I, I've always wanted to move to California because I always pictured California to be more of a open minded, diverse area. But um, I also moved out here uh, to get my education in cannabis and to start working in the cannabis industry. So what do you mean by that? Um, well, I attended Oaksterdam in Oakland, um, California, mm-hmm. and it is the only uh, cannabis college, hands-on cannabis college uh, in the United States, as far as I know right now. Um, I, I went for their horticulture program to learn how to, how to grow um, indoor and outdoor, uh, whether it be in greenhouse or uh, farmland. And uh, in the hopes to gain a career as a uh, master grower to grow cannabis on a commercial level. That's really 
cool. It's and pretty that awesome. sounds like a really awesome program. Like, yeah. And this uh, sounds really stupid, but it's like going to be so hands on. Like you're actually learning like important and like interesting information. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the, the knowledge that I got there, uh, even though that I didn't get to immediately start growing after school, um, but the knowledge that I learned there is so, so valuable uh, in the cannabis industry. I mean, even just understanding a uh, terpene profile of uh, specific strains and the entourage effect that those cannabinoids have when you ingest this plant, whether it be by smoking it, eating it, drinking it, et cetera. Um, the, the knowledge that I got there only helped me when um, I started working for my uh, current job uh, and company. Um, and we work in the vape industry knowing about terpene profiles and how they're going to affect somebody when they use our cart, our vape cart makes all the difference in, in sales and stuff. And is there um, a reason that you decided to go into the cannabis industry? I think my initial motivation was uh, there was a lot of people around me that already used cannabis and um, were aware of the medicinal benefits. And when, um, when I realized that I had been on some form of pharmaceutical prescribed, uh, drugs since I was in the second grade, um, I thought about the negative effects that was happening on my body and I wanted something more natural that can help, um, relieve my pain and help me go to sleep and give me an appetite when I'm not eating and give me focus when I can't, uh, give me inspiration when, you know, I have no sort of, uh, thought process or, you know, help me find some peace when my anxiety is out of control or some humor when I'm feeling extra depressed. I mean, cannabis as a medicine in my life has, has changed so much for me. And I'm so thankful that I'll have to I don't have to depend on the handful of uh, pills that I used to have to take. I mean, not that all pharmaceuticals are awful. I just know over time to have to depend on something for so long. My my body, I don't want to know the condition of my kidneys right now due to how long I've been on uh, ADD meds and and stuff like that and i I literally had to depend on my add medication in order to get through time and then uh get through work and get through school i i couldn't i can't focus without it the unfortunate part is for every time i would take it i would have no appetite during the day so i wouldn't be eating so then at that point uh I, i'd be two weeks to even function because i wasn't eating properly so cannabis solved a lot of the issues that i was having and um I wanted to be able to work in an industry that helps other people uh, relieve their pain and relieve their anxiety and uh, take away their nausea and, you know, help people to live a more normal, happy life. You know, uh, people shouldn't have to live in pain when there's a perfectly natural solution to uh, a lot of people's ailments. So thanks for listening to our 
interview with Ace. Uh, we hope that you learned something. And if you have any questions, by all means, reach out to us and we can connect you to Ace in some shape or form. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Frau Podcast, or you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. We love cat pictures. Um, my no one sends them to us. My current thing is armadillo pictures. So like, by all means, please send them. Um, and otherwise... Don't be a dick. dick.